This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find in their local neighborhood libraries. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read Blood of the Children by Alan Rogers, and Mick read First Comes Marriage by Debbie McComer. To Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here to bring you another week of terrible, terrible books, this time with a little bit of a twist. Uh, in previous weeks, we, we went to public libraries or ordered books off of Amazon, but this time we did something a little bit different. Our neighborhood in Iowa City is a big fan of the little free libraries. There are, within a five-minute walk from our place, at least Four of them? Yeah, Little's Free Library. Little's Free Library. Um, and They're so like we, Starbucks. And so we decided that we were going to make the most of our resources available in our, our local community and find a book from a Little Free Library. So we decided that when we got a book out of said library, we had to give a book yeah. to said library. Um, I gave a copy of a historical fiction book that I had received as a gift a few years ago that I do not plan to ever reread because it just wasn't that great, um, called The German Girl. And Mick, what book did you give back? I brought back a uh, former friend of the show, X heroes uh, that Susan had to read uh, for the local free library. And Finn celebrated our stop at that local free library by taking a shit directly underneath it in some sort of metaphorical uh political stance well that makes sense because the book that you got me out of the little free library is absolute dog shit it's like i had to give a book to get a book and finn had to give a shit to get shit out and so combined they make blood of the children for sure um the littles free library got the better end of the deal for sure because even though x heroes is you know not my favorite book i'm not gonna seek out the sequel but Blood of the Children is trash. Straight trash? It is awful, Mick. This author, Alan Rogers, wants to be Stephen King real bad. And so he takes a Stephen King type plot and makes it just abominably fucked up. It is real bad. How many giant spiders? No giant spiders, but there is a lot of animal torture. (laughs) Oh, yes, and uh, aliens, too. That's hard to build off Well, there are aliens. There are aliens? Wait. That was a Stephen King's terrible endings joke. We'll we'll get there. I was going to say, tell me more about this. We don't know that it's an alien, but there is a magical, omnipotent stone. Mm. So there's definitely the element of the supernatural in this. You know, like Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Uh, This book follows a nine-year-old boy named Jimmy. Uh, Typical nine-year-old boy name. Jimmy, his mom has an alcohol problem. And I don't think this author really understands how alcoholism works because his mom, her drinking problem leads her to the point of, like, insanity. Like, she has a complete mental breakdown. She kills their dog, Duke. And, like, cuts up his body and, like, spreads it all over the house. And then cuts up Jimmy's face with a butcher knife. 
And that's, that's in like the prologue. That's just typical party boy behavior. It really is. So that happens before our Oh, what did I starts. do last night? Yeah. Um, so Jimmy's dad decides that they're going to move away from wow. their small town in New Jersey. How sensitive. Because his mom is going to go into... Jail. Well, a, a mental hospital. Um, and so they decide to move to a place that his dad has visited one time. Uh, one and time. it is in North Carolina and it is called Green Hill. Um, there's just, he, he stopped there for dinner at a diner as he was driving through on a trip. And there was just something that draws him to Green Hill. So they are like at the beginning of the book on their way driving down to Green Hill, North Carolina. Uh, Jimmy has a weird psychic ability to be able to analyze the character of anybody that he meets just by looking at them. Is it pledged as psychic or is it like bad writing? It is pledged as psychic, and it is also bad writing. So, <laughs> Why but, not both? Yeah. Um, but do you remember the last book I read, the legal thriller space adventure mm-hmm. odyssey? Judge, jury, and executioner. She also had that ability, except she had to touch people, but she could like put her hand on you and just like know all of your emotions and your character. He just has to look at you. Wow. So Jimmy's even better than what's her bucket, the so he's magistrate, like judge, jury, executioner, and undertaker. Correct. Yeah. Um, so things get weird immediately when they move to Green Hill. The first full day that they are there, Jimmy is attacked by a group of four neighborhood children. Um, and so I'm just going to, this is going to be a lot of me reading excerpts because I want you to go through this too. Jimmy caught the club, but it was moving so hard and so quick that momentum carried it through anyway. The wood made a sick cracking sound as it came down on the side of his skull then continued down to nearly rip off his ear. But Jimmy had hurt bad enough and often enough that he wasn't afraid of pain and he didn't let it stop him. He pulled the club out of Christian's hands, it wasn't hard, the boy wasn't expecting it, and pushed it back again, jamming the spike end of the club into Christian's throat. It broke the skin and blood went gushing all over the place, but not that much of it. Jimmy hadn't torn any important veins or broken the boy's windpipe. These nine-year-olds are so violent. Yuckaroskis. Yuckaroskis, indeed. Um, so Jimmy gets in this fight. I guess the book is called Blood of the Children. Yeah. So there's, it, there's a lot of that in truth here. Truth in advertising here. So Jimmy gets into this fight because the four kids are torturing a dog and he's trying to save the dog. He gets in the like he gets hurt pretty badly. He hurts some of them pretty badly, but he rescues the dog whose name is Rex. Um, in addition to a lot of animal and child torture, the writing is just also really bad. The names are also very bad. So Jimmy is having like Jimmy throughout the book has flashbacks so that we get the full picture of what happened with his mom. And so in one of his flashbacks, the following paragraph is included. There wasn't any place to hide in the living room or anywhere else on the first floor. Not if you were trying to hide anything larger than a loaf of bread. Jimmy was small and wiry for a nine-year-old, but even the day he was born, he was larger than a loaf of bread. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you, Alan Rogers. Now, before I look like an absolute monster person for getting you this book, of which I am a monster person, Let's talk about why I picked it. So I'm okay. at a little free library. My dog is currently shitting. <laughs> and this is what I see is a book called Blood of the Children. And when I take it out on the front is like a rose with a baby's face kind of poking out of it. Then I flip it over to see what the book is about. And the first words on it are, 
In the small town of Greenhill, all children belong to an evil, magical, and entirely secret cult. I had now put the book in my backpack and I was going to take this one. I read absolutely no further. So I'm sorry. I should have known. No, that's okay. I didn't know when I first saw it either. They, the kids are all part of a secret magical evil cult. Um, there is a dark presence living in the caves underneath Green Hill. That's extraordinarily Stephen King. It is. It is called The Stone title case. Um, and The Stone calls the children to it. So any child who hasn't yet hit puberty is like part of this cult. There's always a child who's the leader. Um, and it basically like they do terrible, awful things because during that time of childhood, they get all of their evil out. And then by the time they hit puberty, they don't remember anything mm. about their childhood. How convenient. And then they have no evil or like basically they have no anything left in them. So they are all just a very polite and passive people who are not capable of anything like even remotely mean any any bad things at all because it's they've gotten it all out of their system when they were little kids so this is like what if it was actually about the purge instead of the the heroism of childhood it was about the the villainy of childhood yeah you are not kidding about the stephen king no it it is it is very stephen king um the dad is so confusing in this because they like move here your child has just undergone incredible trauma at the hands of his mother you decide that the best thing to do is move, which, okay. Um, but then immediately after moving, like day one, your kid gets attacked by four neighborhood kids with bats, and you just don't really do anything. Like, he doesn't call the cops. He doesn't try to figure out who the kids are and contact their parents. He just, like, cleans Jimmy up, and that's it. Does Jimmy hear the stone? So that's the thing, is that Jimmy is not susceptible to the stone because Jimmy has already encountered greatest evil and it hasn't broken him. That's fucking gross. We're playing Cal- no, we're just playing Calvin ball here. I don't know what that means. It's like Calvin ball from Calvin and Hobbes. You uh-huh. just make up the rules as you go along. Like there aren't. Yeah, no, there are no rules. Just right. Just no wrong. rules. Just wrong. Um, In front chicken shack. Yeah, exactly. In front chicken shack. So I'm going to describe a few of the other children to you. Jan and Eileen Williams were having fun. Life was always fun for Jan and Eileen. The world was full of things that begged to hurt or break or be defaced. And nothing under the sun, if you were to ask the twins, could ever be as full of wonder and delight as destruction or the suffering of others. Cool, 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 cool. I'll tell you what, millennial parents, huh? I know. Ever since we well, stopped spanking. Well, this was written in like the 80s. Ever since we stopped spanking. I think this would be like Gen X. Or, no, this was published in 1990. Um, another, so one of our, Satan our right main, here. yeah, it is for sure. Um, one of our main kid characters is Christian. Christian was thinking of murder. Sean had seen that yesterday afternoon when he looked at Christian in the eye. That was why he told him to stay the hell out of the caves. The stone wanted Jimmy Tompkins alive for a long while yet. And Sean knew that if Christian got anywhere near that boy, Jimmy Tompkins would die. Basically, uh, they the kids wind up kidnapping Jimmy and they bring him down into the caves under Green Hill and tie him up. And the stone wants him to undergo like long, slow torture before killing him. It's what the stone wants. Which is, you know. So there's like Lord of the Flies, The Purge. 
and absolute nonsense. Yeah. Satan Panic had a baby yep. that was neglected. With a little bit of Stephen King in there. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, at one point, Christian kills a squirrel by throwing a rock at it and then drinks its blood, which is pretty gross. Why don't the kids hurt each other other than Jimmy? Um, because they're all part of the same cult. That's dumb. It's very dumb. Uh, then the children start skinning Jimmy alive. Oh. Yeah. Um, at this point, he's been missing for like 48 hours. His dad is going crazy. But his dad is convinced that like the cops are trying to tell him, like, you need to sort of mentally prepare yourself that we might find him but not find him alive. And his dad is like, no, if he had died, I would know. Which is a thing that happens in a lot of books and movies and TV shows. Like, people are always convinced. And I think it makes sense, but like... You always think that, oh, no, 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 if something had happened, I would just know. Yeah. And that's not really a thing, but it is in the context of this terrible book. Um, one of the children, they're, like, describing all of the terrible things that these kids do. One of the terrible things that one of the girls, her name is Roberta, is doing is reading, is reading The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. <laughs> that's supposed to be, like... This one kid decapitated a squirrel and is drinking his blood. And these other four kids do ritualistic animal torture. And she's reading The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. The fifth the fifth girl is studying. Like, yeah. The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich is not a pro-Nazi book. We get that, right? Yeah, it's not Mein Kampf. <laughs> Mein <My> Kampf. <laughs> no, that's that. You're thinking of that computer game where everything's in blocks. <laughs> I mean, they probably would find a way to do evil with Minecraft, so. Guten Tag, das ist meine Kampf. I don't know how to pronounce it. Wo ist der Schlüssel? Ich habe, sorry. Then Jimmy escapes with the help of the dog, Rex, um, and then... Smart dog. Sean, who's the kid's leader. When Sean and Tim went back to Jimmy's cave, Jimmy had already escaped. A few minutes after that, the stone found out. And it was so angry that it burned Sean's mind away and left him dead inside forever. So this kid goes brain dead. And we're just like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's also just like a, that's your wrap up was, oh, and by the way. Yeah, that's just how it ends. That's uh, that's At least it's not in present tense. There is one adult character who actually remembers his childhood and he is driven to alcohol to forget it because he remembers all these terrible things that he did and he can't live with the guilt. Um, But he doesn't do anything to prevent his own children from like doing these things. So his son, Timmy... Uh, tries to, like, tell his dad... Is this a Dick and Jane book? What's with these names? I think this was a very, like, 80s and 90s thing, is that it's always, like, Jimmy, Johnny, Timmy. That's, like, a 1957 thing. There's, like, five names that we just cycle through. There should Um, Well, by now, it'd be Brayden, Aiden, Caden, and Jaden. Jaden, yeah. But uh, it sounds almost like a math book with a story problem where it's, like, (laughs) Steve, Jimmy, Kyle, and... And Bob, Bobby. No, we need like that one ethnic name thrown in. <laughs> you know, and Han all go to the sweet shop yeah. to torture a dog. Um, Timmy tries to tell his dad, but his dad is so drunk that he just decides to abuse his child instead of helping him. 
Um, and then eventually Timmy gets his dad to go with him to the caves to try to help. But they catch his dad and his dad is uh, skinned alive and sacrificed. So wait, what's our main character's name? Jimmy. But Timmy. Brings- Timmy's a different kid. Timmy's one of the bad kids, but he has like a. Then why does he bring his dad? He has a moment of conscience where he's like, oh no, we shouldn't be doing this, and he tries to get help. They both die. The stone kills them both. Um, Yeah, there's just a bunch of of terrible, awful things that happen. And then we get to our climax, which is really confusing. As opposed to the rest of it. I mean, yeah, the whole thing's pretty confusing. So. The climax is all, basically all of the characters we've met so far, including the police, Jimmy's dad, Timmy's dad. They're all in the caves by the stone. All the kids are there. And we basically have our, like, big climactic battle scene. Um, they kill Tim and his dad. Oh, and geez. then we... Oh, that was the other guy. Yeah, they kill Tim and his dad. Not our main character, but the, the other kid. Um, and then the stone manifests itself as Jimmy's mom and tries to kill him. So, like, looks like his mom with the butcher knife that she used to kill the dog. And then all of a sudden he has a gun, but he, this is what ultimately kills the stone. Jimmy lowered the gun and set it on the ground beside him. As he did it, his hand brushed against the glass hard flower in his pocket. He found a black flower that's made of glass. Like some sort of rose? Mm-hmm. He took the flower out and he looked at it. And when he looked up at his mother again, she was inches away from him. And the carving knife was coming down toward his neck. Still, Jimmy wasn't afraid, even though he probably should have been. He held the flower out to her to give it to her. I love you, Mom, he said. And as her hands and knife swung toward him, the flower brushed against her wrist. When the flower touched her, the thing made out of flames that Jimmy thought was his mother burst into a hundred thousand filaments of light, and the stone roiling in the crackling bonfire above him screamed and shattered and died. And so that's it. Like, he, like, it manifests as his mom, and he gives it a flower and says, I love you, mom. And then it's done, and that's it. So the moral of the story is apparently forgive and love people who do really awful things to you. Wow. Good, powerful, good moral. powerful stuff. Um, and then we, so like you have to imagine this scene like two, at least two people are dead. There's all of these horrible feral children everywhere. The cops are there. Jimmy has been like, he's almost dead at this point because he's been tortured. Um, and then the stone explodes, whatever. What I really wanted them to include was, like, what happens next? Yeah. What do they do with these kids? Well, I, I'm willing to bet in the rules of this book, they all went back to normal because the stone is gone. I mean, presumably, yeah. Um, so we don't ever hear that, though, because we just hear, like, and then Jimmy woke up in the hospital 10 days later, and that was it. Um, we get a little bit of... The Harry Potter ending. Yeah, we get a little bit of the Harry Potter kind of ending, Um, The stone's death left the children in shock. The stone burned hot and hard. It set fire to the trees around it. The ones who survived the forest fire that night. Wasn't the stone in a cave? 
It was at the beginning, and then apparently the stone moved somehow. I did some heavy skimming at the end. The ones who survived the forest fire that night spent numb weeks recovering their senses, but they did recover them eventually. Someday they will grow up to be the people that their hearts and deeds make them to be. Not good, necessarily, but not bad either. And then the adults of Green Hill remembered all of their childhood. Um, And uh, Jimmy and his dad moved back to New Jersey. And the final thing is that he goes to see his mom in the hospital. Oh, fuck off. But the only good thing about this book is the dog named Rex. The dog named Rex is very good, and the dog named Rex survives. So, I you were gonna divorce me if that dog died. You told me. Uh, yeah, I was gonna really, really struggle. I, if the dog had died, I would have stopped reading right there, and I would not have kept going, and I would have made you Google every single other book you ever figured out or picked out for me to figure out ahead of time if there was a dog and if it died. <laughs> I can't handle that. Gl- I cannot handle I'm that. I'm glad to hear that Rex survived. Do you want to hear some terrible news? Uh-oh. I looked up Alan Rogers to see, like, what gross uh, shit I could find about him on the internet, because this doesn't seem like a healthy person. No. Uh, in 1987, his The Boy Who Came Back from the Dead tied for the Bram Stoker Award for Best Novelette, as in for horror. In 1990, his Blood of the Children was nominated for the Bram Stoker Award for Best First Novel. It's so awful. I'm happy to say it was only nominated and did not win. But it's a very bad. Yeah. It's because it's scary. Ugh. And like the writing wasn't even good. Oh, uh, yeah. Ever since I was a boy, I've been bigger than I've a bread. I've been bigger box. than a loaf of bread. Okay. Cool. I've always been on that side of the 20 questions question. It, yeah, it is so bad. It is a, it is a very bad book. I Why almost, bread box? I don't know. I actually like. I, I have no idea. Why is that the thing? Why not like? Is it bigger or smaller than a bread box? I don't know. Why not like? You can't say bigger or smaller. You have to say is it bigger than a bread box because it's yes or no question, Susan. Come on. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, this book was very terrible. I don't actually know what to do with it now that it's in our house because I don't want it in our house, but I also don't want to put it back in the little free. I library. saw you did draw on it. I made marks, which in is it. what I resisted doing on this one. I, I'm not putting this back in a little free library. I feel like if we burn it, then it's going to be like, and a bunch of ghosts are going to come out. I know, maybe. Do you want to do your impression of the noise that it would make? Oh, yours is more of like a... Oh. Christina Aguilera will be there? <laughs> um, sorry, that's Mariah Carey. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, so that was the blood of the children. I hated it. It was terrible. I'm sorry. You, you did a you did a bad job. Well, see, no, the you parameters did a fine of the project. Job. You did a fine <laughs> job. Alan Rogers did a bad job. Alan Rogers did a bad job. He should have stuck to his nominative determinism uh, career and been a country music singer. He really should have. Yeah. Yeah. It's the blood of the children that make America so free. I love my country. I no, love my country out yeah, loud. That's a real thing. All right. <laughs> so on my end, mine is a lot less gross. Quick there's, question. There's... Are there any dogs in yours? Not in the, no, not that I've read. Okay, great. Because, uh, as I have to get to, I got a, Susan got me, Debbie McComber's technically married in Seattle, which is just two different uh, novellas. And I read the first one and I'll read the second one next week. However, Debbie McComber... Number one, does not sound like a real name. It should be Macomb. No, it should be Macomb. Yeah. 
But it's Macomber, apparently. Macomber. In addition, the title of the collection, Married in Seattle, is one of the worst titles I've ever heard. It's a really, really, it it does not pull you in to the story. You hear it and you're like, I, like. There we go. I know. I know what happens in this book. The last time there's some blood of the children, I get that. But what, you know, is it about puberty? Anyway, the the cover is. Of, like, the type of children's book that's a very, very serious children's book, like, where they try to draw realistic people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one about, like, a lady who gets old and then eventually the son holds her. Did you ever read that one? Um, yes. Uh, the name of it is on the tip of my tongue. It's like, you'll always be my baby. Or something like I love that. you this much or something, something like that. Something like that. It looks like that. Like, yeah. a serious children's book is the, the art, art style we get. And it's just of... A shop with a single wedding dress in the window, and then just fucking buku ferns. So many ferns. So many ferns and a and a door. You would think that a wedding dress shop would the, the lilies. F- the fern to dress ratio would skew a little bit more towards the dress side, and and like I'm always measuring that F two D. You know, I- hashtag F two D is one of the most important <laughs> things that you can get in your wedding dress. Anyway. So there's two novellas. I read the first one. The first one is called First Comes Marriage. And I was very happy to see that it was only 188 pages. I was very excited about that. But let me tell you, it took me longer to read these 188 pages because I do a very bad job at skimming bad books. I'm, I'm very bad at that. I have to get mad at every single pebble <laughs> in my shoe. Whereas I had to protect my psyche. Yeah, so. you, yeah. this is why you made it through Midnight Sins and I didn't. Ooh. She has another book being advertised in here. Ew. <laughs> it's called Midnight Suns, S-O-N-S. <gasps> Heck yes. Brides for Brothers and The Marriage Risk. Okay, that one's going to have to happen soon. Midnight Suns is just too close <laughs> not to get. Is too close. Listen, I'm working on my Medium post about this weird sort of whirlpool we're in where the same names keep coming up over and over again. Yours was gross and bad and nobody should ever read it. This book, nobody should ever read it. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't bad. It wasn't the worst book I've ever read. It was one of the dumbest books I've ever read. And not in that cool uh, honey badger kind of dumb where you're like, fuck yeah. This was like, what's your least favorite part of every rom-com? Um, act two after the fight. Yeah, Why? Because it's the same thing every time, and you know how it's going to end. You know they're going to wind up together, and it is just, like, it's it's boring and predictable and irritating to me. Do you know why uh, You've Got Mail is not only a good rom-com, but also has held up despite its, like, re- like plot reliance on yeah. an outdated technology? Why is that? Because there is a reason... A motivation for Tom Hanks's character to not be forthcoming with Meg Ryan. Yeah. There is like a plot-driven reason for him to try and hide the truth. Yeah, Every- you're right. In a lot of other rom-coms, it's like you just want to be like, just talk to each other and fix the problem. Exactly. They just make stuff up to be mad at each other about. Yeah. Welcome to the entirety of this book. Yeah. And first comes marriage. We have two characters. Our hero, our heroine Janine. Uh, who we are introduced to uh, wearing a dress made out of bandanas that goes down to her knees but is tied around the hips and then is treated by every supporting character as if it is some sort of like club-going vagina dress. 
It's just that ugly, girl. Is extremely ugly. She is also wearing a necklace uh, made of Xmas light or Christmas lights. How zany! That's really. And when I first read it, I'm like, okay, I read on the back that this was something about an arranged marriage. So maybe she's like, it's going to be that rom com thing, how to lose a guy in twenty days or ten, whatever, where she's trying to offend the guy so he'll never go for. It. No, she thinks it's a good outfit. So the bandana dress, I'm I'm envisioning one of those like. I only I think they only come in like red and blue with that very specific bandana pattern. The there's like a it's like a cowboy bandana. Um You're you're thinking like real bandanas that you can wear like in your hair. I'm pretty sure. I don't know, there's not a picture, but like her thirteen year old mentee makes it or something. We'll talk about her thirteen year old mentee. The Christmas lights. Is this a Christmas book? No. What 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 time of year is this? I don't remember. I don't know. I don't think it was particularly important. I think maybe like May ish, but that was also when I was reading it. So maybe that's so just like... confusing. But is she like artsy and weird? No, and she is born into wealth and doesn't have a job, but volunteers a bunch. And so I think she's supposed to be kind of like a manic pixie dream girl, except Gross. she just is the worst. So she's the a worst. she shows up to the first meeting between her and Zach Thomas, who is. The her dad has died, uh, and her mother have both died, and so she's basically relying on her grandfather, who runs the the biggest dynasty of office supplies. <laughs> like, okay, cool. so he's Mister Staples. So yes, uh, Alan Staples. Uh, Zach Thomas was running a rival firm and gaining in the you know the ranks of office supply firms, and then her grandfather buys him out, and this is pitched as like a we joined our forces together, and not as in like a. That's monopolization. That's a bad thing to yeah. just continue buying out lower, whatever. But anyway, Zach Thomas is the grandfather's protege and, and like business mentee, I suppose. Okay. And the grandfather thinks that they're going to be perfect for each other. And he's from the old country, I guess. And so believes that you're supposed to arrange a marriage between people, not rely on. I'll get into that later because the whole fucking plot of this book is, is stupid. But anyway, she comes wearing a dress made of bandanas and a necklace made of Christmas lights in this zany rom-com romance novella, what would the male, the guy be wearing? Um, I feel like he's either gotta be like a, he's either, he either has to be in a suit because he's the businessman. Oh yeah, what kind of suit? Pinstriped. Yeah, not the design of it, but it's gotta be well-tailored. Oh, so he's in a well-tailored suit. He is, quote, the very picture of a high-powered executive. Thanks. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. A lot of different guys with different jobs wear suits. And I think that whether or not you think that in a suit you look like a high-powered executive, you could just as easily look like a teenage boy at his great-grandmother's funeral in a suit that doesn't fit. Anybody who is wearing a... thinks that they look like an executive looks like they were on Wall Street in the 1980s and overdosed on cocaine. Like, it doesn't work anymore to think that a suit makes you... whatever. Um, So they meet and get this. They really don't like each other immediately. 
by all means, she said, forcing a smile. She stood and reached for her coat, watching Zack from the corner of her eye. He didn't like her. That realization had a peculiar effect on Janine. She felt disappointed and a little sad, despite the fact that she did not like him either. Zack hadn't said much, and actually there hadn't been time for a real conversation, but she'd sensed his attitude almost from the first. He thought of her as spoiled and frivolous, probably because he knew she didn't hold a responsible job and loved to travel. Part of her longed to explain there were good reasons, blah, 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 but from the looks he was sending her, it would be a waste of breath. Good, thanks. <laughs> Way to just put everything into I one paragraph. I was going to say, I feel like there's the whole idea of like show, don't tell. I think the author got that mixed up. Like, yeah. no, just tell. Tell everything. Tell everything straight up right in the beginning. Yeah, she has, uh, it is described as not this. It's described as to what it, I suppose, looked like when the idea was new. But she has a, a Karen haircut, the let me talk to your manager oh, haircut, yeah. and thinks that it's so wild that boys won't understand it or like it. Now, it's like the this, most normie haircut ever. This would be this would be a different thing if this book was in like the 1980s. Like that would be a pretty new hairstyle, I suppose. It was published in 2009, I believe, 2008 maybe. So like right at the height yeah, of this. Yeah, that's not exactly an edgy 2009, haircut. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. First Come Marriage was first written in 1991. That does okay. change a little bit. Yeah. The the collection was was published in 2009. All right. Anyway, it's a Karen haircut. Um, he is an executive. Uh, he joined the military. Any, any guess why? Seeing as this is a bad rom-com book. Oh, probably because either because he has a troubled past or because he wanted to see the world. Uh, he has a troubled past. He's another kid who doesn't care if he lives or dies because uh, of he, the abuse he, he had as a child. he self-proclaimed really fucked up? He's very fucked up kid. He can't love, whatever. Uh, he volunteers for dangerous assignments, and that comes up a lot in these books. I don't yeah. think the military just allows you to go willy-nilly about what you do or do not do. They don't just send out an email that's like, <laughs> hey, guys. hey, do we have any volunteers for this mission? And then I just, like, put together a group from who says sure. I need Bashar al-Assad assassinated. Who's up for it? Yeah. Come on, guys. I don't want to have to pick. this one? It's like how we take walk-in appointments at work. Someone just sends out an call appointments? and says... Who wants this walk-in? And then someone volunteers to go to Afghanistan. <laughs> so, I have a lot of bits about the the book. Uh, let's just get through the entire plot, I suppose. And then I'll get to my overall things about fiction like this. Her grandfather thinks they'd be good together. He tells them straight up, you're going to get married. So, there you go. And they're both like, it's America in, apparently, the early 90s. That doesn't happen mm -hmm. anymore. And he's like, well, well, with divorce rates the way they are, you can't say that this style of marriage is working where you fall in love first. And they're like, well, I can't really argue with that. Yeah, yes, you, you can. fucking can. Yeah, absolutely can. It's like there is absolutely no effort to even begin to dismiss the points that the grandpa is bringing up. They're just like, no, but that's not how it's done. But everything you're saying is right, obviously. But no. There's two points I can make to this, and they're very good points. Number one, people want to get divorced but couldn't, and now they can. So the, the rising divorce yeah. rate is a positive because whatever. Secondly, if what you're saying is true and people can fall in love after they're married, why would divorce rates be so high? Yeah. That doesn't make any... Your, your point is totally invalid on... Blah, 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 blah. Blah. So both times they're like, I just can't fight him. He's so stubborn. I don't know what to say. Just fucking say, 
No. And then because this is a rom-com book where they have to end up together, they're like, we should really, you know, communicate about our strategy on tackling this. It's like, just don't talk or hang out together. But they'll like go out to dinner or like go out to lunch and be like, so what are we going to do about this? Let's, and then nothing You're is. You're going to tell him no and move on with your life. Nothing is addressed, planned, or solved. They just go to lunch, fucking hate each other until uh, everyone else in the restaurant looks at them, which they always do. Uh, because the, the woman cannot control anything about the way she speaks, thinks, or acts. She is totally out of control of her own actions. And then gets embarrassed. And when they, they get mad at each other, she's like, but I really did kind of like him. No, I didn't. Then the grandpa asks, well, what do you want it to be to be romance? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I need to be blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's a romance on the Scottish moors and all this bullshit stuff. And so he books her a ticket to Scotland. And would you believe it? He comes up with an excuse for the boy to go to Scotland. And they kiss on the Scottish moors oh, under the moon. And then they're gross. like, why did we do that? We can't do that. And it's like, you obviously like each other. And then they get married because they realize that it would be an advantageous thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, whatever. So it would be an advantageous thing. And then they get married. Like, they decide to get married in, like, two weeks. They don't talk to each other or see each other at all within those two weeks. And then when they get married and like a core of the piece or the, or the you know, uh, her teenage mentee makes her sheer white lingerie. Which is weird. That's a weird Very gift to get from a teenager. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. They were planning on having dinner to not, uh, to figure out how to not get married. I skipped this part, which is one of the ways that she is totally without of control of her actions. Uh, so... She is like straight up promises Zach not to tell, right? I'm not going to tell my grandpa that Gramps, that we mm-hmm. are not doing these, this thing. Okay. Janine was waiting in the library, coat draped over her arm when her grandfather got home at 6.30. He kissed her dutifully on the cheek and reached for the evening paper, scanning the headlines as he settled into his big leather chair. Zach called, she said without thinking. It's your first fucking words out of your mouth. The thing you promised not to say? Yeah, but she's, like, not having control over what she says or does or anything makes her kooky. And well, that makes her relatable. Anton Nada, the grandfather. I thought he might. You meeting him for dinner? Dinner? Zach and me? She squeaked. No, of course not. Why would you even think I'd agree to a dinner date with him? Darn, she'd nearly forgotten her promise to keep their meeting a secret. She detested lying to her grandfather, but there was no help for it. She would have had to lie if she had just never brought it up. I doubt that Gramps would have been like, do you hear from Zach today? If she hadn't just blurted it out from nowhere. No kidding. Uh, She also uh, yells when she's saying things. There we go. Uh, No... She just, like, yells and goes breathless in small sentences uh, for little to no reason. Is and then, her yelling indicated through capital letters or exclamation points? No, it's indicated in the narration of her yelling and oh, the good. entire restaurant always looking at her. Like, I, like, no one would ever go to lunch with her again if yeah. she did that. Like, if I was with a friend and they caused such a scene that everyone else in the restaurant was staring at us... I would never go out in public with them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she is the worst woman in fiction I've ever read. Remember how Charlie wow. from the Badger book was yeah. one of the best? She's the worst because she'll be like, I'm furious. And then everybody else will be like, 
why are you furious? Yeah. And she'd be like, please I tell me why really you're furious. I love it when people don't articulate their emotions or their needs or their motivations yeah. for doing anything. That so was for really good literature. When they're sitting at a picnic table on the pier and they agree to get married without any fanfare and because book was called first comes marriage so i guess they have to get married this is the ultimate in saying things to drive a plot instead of in for any actual reason it's like yeah we'll get the your grandfather off our back and it's good for us and whatever and we're gonna have to work together anyway which is terrible fucking reason but that's why it's said and then she gets furious when he's like yeah we're we're married coolio now that we're married it's like you agreed to this whole thing also we better get married because we're going to have to work together is the worst justification of all time yeah uh she this is showing just like the depth of her intellect here she's talking to pam 13 years old who later knits her the or makes her the sheer sexy white baby doll pajamas i don't know if i like boys or not 13 year old pam hudson admitted over a cheeseburger and french fries they can be so dumb it had been a week since janine's dinner with zach is before they get married and she was surprised that the teenager's assessment of the opposite sex could so closely match her own they can be so dumb was your adult reasoning towards the opposite gender wow what incisive analysis <laughs> I mean, from a 13-year-old, that makes sense. Not the really. It, they can be so dumb as like a six-year-old. But like, for a grown woman to be like, yeah, that's my philosophy towards men too. Like, maybe, maybe be a little bit more well thought out in your pronouncements when you're in your 20s or 30s or however old. Yeah, I have the, the, the marriage thing here. Sorry, I should have... Uh... Her heart melted at the... The question is, Janine, can I make you happy? Her heart melted at the way he said it, at the simplicity and sincerity of the words. What about you, she asked, not answering the question. Will you be content to being married to me? Uh, the apprehension in his face eased. I think so. We'll be good for each other. This isn't any grand passion, but I'm fond of you and you're fond of me. Fond, Janine repeated, breaking away. What's wrong with that word? I hate that word, Janine said through gritted teeth. You just brought up content. Then why are they getting married if he openly is like, it's not any grand passion, but I guess it's fine. Like, that's your romance book ending? They are introduced as uh, Mr. and Mrs. Zach Thomas at their wedding. Gross. I hate that. Uh, baffled by Zach's odd behavior, Janine set aside her glass of champagne and stood up so abruptly that the water sloshed over the edge of the, t edge of the tub, the hot tub. She's wearing a bathing suit. They don't bang for two weeks. You don't need to say it, she muttered, climbing out and grabbing her towel. Say what? You warned me before the wedding, so I walked into this with my eyes wide open. Well, you don't, you needn't worry. I got the message the minute we arrived at the house. What message is that? Never mind. Again, more not telling him why she's mad. Against her better judgment, she pointed, he says, I want you to tell me. Against her better judgment, she pointed a quaking finger at the front door. You went out of your way to tell me how fond of me you were and there wasn't going to be any grand passion. Great, perfect, I agree to those terms. That's all fine with me, but... But what, he says. Mutely, she shook her head. Say words out loud. He sighed. Oh, great, we're fighting. I suppose you're going to ask for a divorce and make this the shortest marriage in Washington state history. Janine paled. Divorce was such an ugly word, and it struck her as viciously as a slap. No, it didn't. 
Despite her efforts, scalding tears spilled down her cheeks. With as much dignity as she could muster, which admittedly wasn't a lot, Janine went back inside, leaving a wet trail in her wake. From tears or from the hot tub? Uh, from the hot tub. Okay. Hey, let's get married for reasons. Okay. Do you want to... Didn't we get married for not that reason? No, we did. <gasps> How dare you? I'm not going to tell you why you're... Oh, God, I hate it so much. Well, I just don't... Like, I understand. You've told me the reasons that were presented in the book. But they're not good reasons. So I just don't understand why they got married. They begin to hit it off at this uh, beach house he owns. And he decides he's going to cook her dinner. To, they begin to, like, pick up their whatever. Actually liking each other. And he's in the kitchen for, like, hours. It's kind of pitched as, good grief, what's that? She asked in dismay. Dinner. The uh, He has a tin can with a pair of tongs. The only real cooking I ever did was while I belonged to the Boy Scouts. As though he was presenting lobster bisque, he set the steaming can down in front of her. Janine leaned forward, almost at phrase, to examine its contents. Barbecued beans with sliced hot dogs, he said proudly. The beans were actually quite appetizing, though. Then he brings out uh, dessert, a concoction consisting of graham crackers covered with melted chocolate and marshmallows. He'd warm them in the oven and serve them on a cookie sheet. Janine ate four of what Zach called, quote, s'mores. Oh, no. This person is an idiot. I, I, I hate it. Uh... So was she, there was there a sex scene? No, passes over the sex scene. That's too you know proletariat for. These so things. this was just supposed to be a romance. Yeah, this is the least romantic storyline I've ever heard of in my yeah. life. Yeah, Janine lowered her head. Excuse me, she managed. She was brushing her teeth, but it was difficult to speak with a toothbrush poking out of her mouth. Pardon. Janine hurried back to the bathroom and rinsed out her mouth. Turning, she braced her hands on the sink. I said, "Excuse me for bumping into you. Will you be comfortable in the guest room?" They went back to his apartment instead of the, her big house because you go where the man is. Uh, yes, I'll be fine. She says. He held a blanket in his arms. I thought you might need this. He is bringing something she might need, proving that he's thinking about her yeah. needs and, and looking. She chose the guest room, by the way. Yeah. She, he like left her luggage in the hallway to say, hey, you can bring this into the master. If you're not comfortable, you can yeah. bring this into the guest room. So he's thinking about her needs, trying to show I'm thinking about you in this yeah. way. Thanks, she said as smoothly as possible, coming out of the bathroom to take the blanket from him. She wanted to be swept off her feet. She wanted love. She wanted passion. He was offering a warm blanket. But she didn't tell him that that's what she wanted. So how would he know? Absolutely no communication at all. And she is furious that he's not getting hey, it. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Tell people things. This is one of the worst uh, women in fiction. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, so they straight up and down, like, hate each other. And they are they are looking to avoid each other in the apartment. Like, each of them working late so they don't have dinner together and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and then he has a bad dream in the middle of the night while she's taking a pee or something and she goes in to comfort her him and it turns out that he was dreaming about her drowning because it was his his sister had drowned when they were little and that's why he's a fucked up son of a bitch who joined the military because he didn't care if he lived or died and this time he thought it was her drowning and he couldn't bear to lose her and it's like i could i could very much bear to lose <laughs> this woman oh no 
But he doesn't really know her. At all, no. Uh, Speaking of bad dreams, yeah, Finn's, Finn's, Finn's having one right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Um, then after they've begun to hit it off, this is before they actually make up with the bad dream. This is after they're hitting it off before anything real happens. He, she asks him, were you ever in, like, have you ever been in love? He's like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to talk about that. That's that's not relevant to here. And she's like, no, I want to know more about you. Have you ever been in love? He goes, well, have you? And she goes, I thought so, but it turned out no. And he's like, okay. And so she goes, well, what about you? Have you ever been in love? He goes, yeah, I was in love with this woman. It wasn't reciprocal. Like, I confused, you know, working closely together with being closely together. So I was in love with her, but she wasn't in love with me. She was another soldier in this whole thing. And so for another 20 fucking pages of this book, she's like in tears thinking about how he's been in love with this woman. And it's like, how dare he have a past? And why the fuck did you ask if you... Oh, my God. Why did you ask if you didn't want to know? Also, you can't be an adult dating another adult and be mad that they had a life before you. You met this person as an adult. Like, you, people then, have lives. People meet people. This all happened before he knew who you were. Yeah, and then she's like... I mean, you'll never love me. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you mad about this? No, you'll just know it's fine. It's like, I just understand now. Because he uh. has been in love with a person that it seems like he's over it. And it he acknowledges it wasn't reciprocated. But that means that he can never be in love again. Yeah. So now this is when he's waking up. I don't know how to say all the words you deserve to hear, but I know one thing, Janine. I love you. It happened without my even being aware of it. One day I woke up and realized how important you'd become to me. It wasn't the grand passion you wanted, and I'm sorry for that. The love I feel for you is the quiet, steady kind. No, it's not. It's buried deep in my heart, but trust me, it's there. You're the most important person in my life. Oh, Zach, I love you so much. You love me? I have for weeks, even before we were married. That's what bothered me so much when I learned about Marie. I wanted you to love me with the same intensity that you felt for her that I feel for you. It isn't like that. It never was. Marie was as brave as she was beautiful, but what we shared, blah, 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 blah. I Uh, love that he still, like, he just keeps telling her that he does not have passionate love for her. Like, even in this scene, he's like, it's not a grand passion, but. Yeah, so you get this. So she wants grand relationship. She wants a dozen red roses on the bed and glass vases and that sort of thing. And this is what she gets and is fine with it. It wasn't until you and I met that if I, that I realized if I were ever to marry, it would be to someone like you. Someone like me? He kissed her briefly. A woman who's warm and gentle and caring. Someone unselfish and, he hesitated, desirable. Her throat tightened with emotion and it was all she could do to meet his gaze. Zach found her desirable. That's That's like... What was the word that she used earlier in the story? Content? Yeah, content and... and... For someone who wanted the big storybook romance, she doesn't even really have, like, a good normal people romance. She has absolutely no target on what she does or does not want. Yeah. She she flirts with... She just... Ugh. So then this is the the sex scene, as close as it gets, because she says, uh, Love me, Zach, she whispered simply after he told her she was desirable. Hey, baby. You're desirable. This is after, by the way, twice now that they've like made out somewhere and he's gone to carry her into the bedroom and she's been like, no. And he goes, okay. So he's shown before. Yeah. I'm interested in you. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to. Yeah. 
He says, I desire you. Yeah, he says, make me your wife, she said, bending forward to brush her moist mouth over his. Ew, that's the grossest way I've ever heard a kiss described. (laughs) Let me brush my moist mouth against you. Sounds like a raspberry. Zach groaned. Then he did the strangest, (laughs) most wonderful thing. He laughed. Ha ha! The robust sound (laughs) echoed across the room and was so infectious that it made Janine laugh too. My sweet Janine, he said, you've changed my life. She hasn't, though. She has not. No. Except for the worst. He's been miserable for like two straight weeks. And then he kissed her again, leaving her with no doubts at all. For a long time afterward, their happiness could be heard in their sighs and gasps and whispered words of love. Then grandfather shows up to tell them to actually get over it and ma- love each other. And they're like, okay. He makes them kiss in front of the- him. Dance for me, puppets. Dance. And he keeps talking about their blue-eyed, blonde-haired children. And he speaks a German dialect. And so it gets a sort of Aryan bit about it. One uh, specific piece I want to mention that this book does a terrible thing with. And I've noticed uh, happening in other books as well. Is that you need to think about how long the things you're describing would take. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's sometimes difficult, and I know that you read faster, but if you do not throw in some sort of mention in, in as like, and then they talked about other stuff for a while before yeah. returning to dialogue, then what you have told me they said is what the, the entirety of their conversation, mm-hmm. right? And so if I can read that whole conversation with narration included in like three minutes, and then you tell me that they had spent the lunch hour together with that conversation, it's redonkulous. And this does that at least three times. That there's like, I'll say 20 lines of dialogue for each person. So 40 total. And then it's like, yeah, and that was the whole afternoon. That would have taken less than five minutes to say out loud. When you think about it? Unless they are like a football team that is running out the clock and at the very last second that it would have become weird for them not to talk, then they said it, and the next person waited 24 seconds before they said it, then it did not take all afternoon. Maybe they're just sitting in dramatic silence. Wondering when the other one will say it. Yeah. I was, I worked with this girl when I was a waiter and she you kept, worked with this girl from the book? Basically, yes. <laughs> because she kept complaining about all the boys that she wanted to text her and call her and take her out. And I'd be like, tell tell them that. Yeah, like you can. Come, texts go both ways. You don't have to say like, do you want to get a drink? You can just be like, hey, I'm having a party. Come over. Yeah. Or you looked really good in that shirt today. She'd be like, no. Then what the fuck do you want them to do? Yeah. You want to be shown interest with no interest shown in you is absolutely ridiculous. It's stupid. Communicate, people. Yep. It's, Talk to each other, man. It's the ultimate and sounds harder than it is to do. And then once Easier you've communicated, than then maybe you can brush your moist mouth against theirs. Speaking of which, let's put this podcast to a close. <laughs> uh, next week, I will be reading the second in this novella, but I already got Susan's other book, which is, I think, even shorter than my novella. Yeah, here. it's like 150 pages long. I can't remember. It's like Stainless I, Steel yeah, Rat for President. Stainless Steel or Rat for President, I think is what it's called. Something like that. So that'll that should be interesting. Hopefully, the stainless steel rat doesn't get tortured. Hopefully not. Whereas I am reading Wanted: colon, Perfect Partner. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. Probably neither of the characters is gonna be a perfect partner. Yeah. Well, Meg has a teenage daughter, Lindsay, and she's getting an ad result from Steve Conlan. 
Oh, Steve. Did grandfather know best? Did a teenage matchmaker get it right? You decide. I'm willing to bet that both times they will end up together or else what's the point? It's a really unromantic romance novel that I got you there. She, according to her about the author, has become a a leading voice in women's fiction worldwide. Wow. We were in a really interesting place in the 90s. That's why Sex in the City, although it's terrible, was very important. Because it was like, here's a, a show that is actually about women, even though it was written by a man. Mm. But, you know. And it's cares. very unrealistic. Well, it's, they're just rich. Yeah. Well, fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is going to do it for this week. My name has been and will be and I suppose is Mick Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Dickima. I am Susan Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's. S-A-N-J. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Good night. Night, Michelle.